Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Nuclear Stability or Russian Advantage. Will extending New START serve the United States? I am very pleased to uh, be here under this special circumstance. This is my first webinar, so I hope the technology does its magic and works as advertised. Uh, first, we have a few ground rules. Um, if you have question during the course of the seminar, please um, submit the question in the Q&A box and identify yourself by name and organization. Uh, we, will be, um, we will be answering the questions after the brief remarks that each of the panelists um, deliver. The session is being recorded. It will be emailed to you and also posted on heritage.org slash events uh, within 48 hours and all at attendees are in listen-only mode. Now, with that being said, I'm happy to introduce our three panelists. Uh, first is Patty Jane Geller, Policy Analyst for Nuclear Deterrence and Missile Defense at Heritage, uh, where she came from uh, the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, Patty Jane uh, works um, on nuclear deterrence and missile defense issues. Uh, and uh, just started, so I'm, I'm really excited to be hosting this event with you and I'm looking forward to your remarks. Our second panelist is Frank Rose, uh, Senior Fellow for Security and Strategy Foreign Policy at the Brookings Institution. Um, Frank has had very distinguished uh, career in the government uh, prior to joining um, a think tank including uh, being at the Department of State, uh, being at HASC, and being in OSD policy. Frank, we're delighted to have you join us. And last but not least, uh, Tim, Tim Morrison is hosting us, uh, is joining us, sorry. Uh, Tim is a senior fellow, fellow at the Hudson Institute. He specializes in Asia-Pacific security, missile defense, nuclear deterrent, modernization, and arms control. Tim has also had distinguished government service. His last post was senior director on the NSC for European Affairs. And before that, he was senior director for counterproliferation and biodefense. And before that, Tim spent quite a bit of time um, on, on the Hill, including Hask, and including working for my one of my former bosses, Senator John Kyle. Um, with that, Patty Jane, take it away. Great, thanks so much, Michaela. Um, as you said, it is my first webinar and I'm new at Heritage, so I hope that means you'll go easy on me. Um, so I'll jump right into it. In examining the decision of whether or not to extend New START, I think it's first important to understand the difference between U.S. and Russian nuclear capabilities. As the U.S. nuclear enterprise continues to age, Russia has been advancing its nuclear forces and maintaining an active nuclear complex. It's been reported that Russia is developing new high-yield and earth-penetrating nuclear weapons capable of targeting U.S. hardened military assets and violating its commitment under the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty conducting low-yield nuclear tests to improve its warhead capabilities. It's been modernizing all three legs of its nuclear triad um, to include advanced capabilities like its Sarmat Heavy ICBM capable of carrying up to 24 warheads at once, its avant-garde hypersonic glide vehicle, and of course its more exotic delivery systems like the nuclear-powered cruise missile and unmanned underwater torpedo. Meanwhile, the United States has been struggling just to modernize its decaying nuclear enterprise. During last year's NDAA debate, 
there were attempts to delay, if not cancel, the already overdue ground-based strategic deterrent program, for example, slash plutonium pit production and establish a no first use policy and more. Fortunately for America's security, these efforts did not succeed. But such attempts to derail US nuclear modernization have been so worrying that one might conclude that we should extend New START because otherwise the US wouldn't be able to maintain uh, a nuclear force comparable to Russia's. However, when examining what the New START agreement actually entails, it becomes clear that despite the growing challenges to the US nuclear deterrent, extending New START is not the solution. The treaty contains multiple flaws that have enabled Russia to build up its forces to where they are today. First, the treaty does not limit the number of warheads that can be carried on a single missile. So Russia, since we signed New START, has been deploying missiles with multiple warheads on them, which help it develop a dangerous first strike capability. Russia's current ICBM force deploys about 860 warheads, but has the capacity to deploy over 1,100. This latent upload capability would allow Russia to quickly and easily surpass new start limits, especially once its new Sarmat heavy ICBM comes online. Second, new start counts one bomber as one warhead, regardless of the number of warheads that a bomber can actually carry. So with this counting rule, Russia would be able to surpass the 1550 warhead limit that, uh, that new start limits. Third, Russia has pursued capabilities outside of new start, including its vast technical warhead arsenal that would help Russia conduct a limited strike. Its exotic delivery systems are also not covered by New START. So while Russia built up these systems, both compliant with and not covered by New START, the United States has limited its capabilities. We reduced the number of warheads that our ICBMs can carry to just one, so we have no upload capacity comparable to Russia's. And instead of modernizing or developing new systems, we've let our nuclear enterprise decay. Fourth, New START's verification regime is not sufficient to enable the United States to prove that Russia is cheating or preparing to break out of the treaty. As just one example, during on-site inspections, the United States can select a Russian ICBM and count the number of warheads that it can carry and compare that number uh, to what Russia reported in the New START database. But the thing is, these inspections are announced 24 hours in advance, allowing Russia to remove any unreported reentry vehicles in the meantime. So those who advocate for extending New START for five years often cite the strategic stability provided by the ability to verify Russia's number of deployed warheads and missiles. But the basis for this argument falls flat when we see how easy it is for Russia to take advantage of the treaty's flaws. And it's not like Russia wouldn't do, do this. It's cheated on just about every arms control treaty that we've signed, such as the INF Treaty and the Open Skies Treaty. If Russia is cheating on New START, we might not even be able to detect it. So the ideal, problem, the ideal solution to the problem of a bad treaty would be to negotiate a better one. But this gambit poses the problem of lacking the negotiating leverage necessary to come to an agreement with Russia that would serve the US interests. With US modernization efforts barely underway, the US doesn't have any advanced forces that I think would be able to compel Russia to agree to uh, limits on its tactical arsenal or new delivery systems in exchange. The administration is certainly right to pressure Russia to negotiate on these systems, but I just don't see what the US would be able to give up uh, to, to make Russia agree to these things. And it's unlikely that Russia would agree to limits or new verification measures out of good faith alone. So this brings me back to my initial question. Would extending New START help solve the problem of the imbalance between Russian and US nuclear forces? And based on my assessment of the treaty, my answer is no. Extending New START, absent any improvements, would create a false sense of security for the United States by assuming a level of stability from a binding arms control agreement that doesn't actually exist. While the US does indeed need time to modernize its nuclear arsenal to gain its negotiating leverage back, extending New START won't help this problem because Russia will continue to build up the forces that it desires, treaty or not. The administration should certainly continue uh, engaging in nuclear discussion with Russia to try to improve the treaty. And I think appointing uh, Marshall Billingsley recently as nuclear envoy is, an, is a good first step. But absent concrete progress in treaty negotiations, the US shouldn't extend New START for another five years. Instead, we should focus on funding our modernization programs to begin fielding new nuclear systems as quickly as possible. And then only when new systems like the ground-based strategic deterrent 
long range standoff weapon and hopefully a nuclear submarine launch um, cruise missile begin to come online, will the US gain the negotiating leverage it needs to develop a new agreement with Russia that actually serves the US interests? Um, so I will leave it at that and hand it back to Michaela and I look forward to your questions. Thanks so much, Patty Jane. All right, Frank, you're next. Great, thanks, Michaela. Uh, and thanks for allowing me to participate today. It's great to be on the panel with you, Patty Jane and Tim. Now, uh, I certainly represent the minority view on this panel, but I'm gonna make the case to you today why I believe it's in the interest of the United States to extend New START by five years as allowed by the terms of the treaty. In my view, um, we should extend New START for three key reasons, deterrence, modernization, and alliance cohesion. And let me say a bit about each of those. From my perspective, the strongest argument in favor of New START extension is that it will help the United States maintain a modern and effective nuclear deterrent. This point has been made most cogently by General John Hyten, the current Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and former Commander of U.S. Strategic Command. In testimony before Congress, he has stated, quote, I'm a big supporter of the treaty. When it comes to nuclear weapons and nuclear capabilities, that bilateral lateral verifiable arms control agreements are essential to our ability to provide an effective deterrent. Second, I think New START has played an important role in building bipartisan political consensus to modernize the U.S. strategic nuclear deterrent. Indeed, New START brought some very reluctant Democrats on board in favor of strategic modernization. And I'd also argue modernization brought some Republicans on board for uh, New START. My big concern is that if New START expires without a replacement, it could uh, lead to the continued fraying of the very fragile bipartisan consensus that currently exists in favor of nuclear modernization. As Senator Bob Menendez, the, chair, uh, the ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee said in 2010, quote, bipartisan support for nuclear modernization is tied to maintaining an arms control process that controls and seeks to reduce Russian nuclear forces, end quote. Third, arms control agreements like New START also play an important role in maintaining the cohesion of U.S. alliances and ensuring allied support for defense and deterrence uh, programs. In many allied nations, nuclear weapons are deeply unpopular with their parliaments and their publics, and support for arms control in non-proliferation agreements help these governments build domestic political support for nuclear deterrence and modernization programs. A decision not to extend New START would likely embolden voices in allied capitals who oppose alliance deterrence and modernization programs. And this is especially the case in Germany, where they're beginning a debate on how to replace their dual-capable aircraft that support the NATO nuclear mission. Now, that said, I believe that many of the concerns that Tim, Patty Jane, and others have raised about the future of arms control and New START, especially the changing security environment, Russia's development of new systems, and the need to bring China into a future framework are valid and they need to be addressed. However, from my perspective, those concerns can be adequately addressed within the context of a five-year extension of New START. And let me outline for you how I propose we do that. Uh, first, part of the deal would be we seek bipartisan commitment from Congress uh, that we will modernize our nuclear forces. 
Second, in conjunction with the extension of the treaty, the United States and Russia would release a joint statement that establishes a formal mechanism to one, address the strategic concerns of the other side, and two, begin laying the foundation to develop a new arms control and strategic stability framework to replace New START when it ultimately expires. The joint statement would include a specific reference on the need to address third-party nuclear forces and strategic capabilities from countries like China, as well as emerging technologies. Uh, third, I would begin a serious bilateral dialogue with China on arms control and strategic stability uh, issues with the objective of bringing them into a future framework. Indeed, it's neither politically or strategically viable to have America's most significant long-term competitor, China, outside a future framework. Though, in the initial discussions, I think we need to focus them on dealing with China's asymmetric capabilities, specifically the development of anti-satellite weapons, um, medium and intermediate range conventional cruise missiles and offensive cyber capabilities. However, we need to be clear on one fundamental point. China will not enter into any future agreement that limits its military capabilities unless such an agreement is perceived to be in its national interest. And one of the longer term questions I think the United States will need to think through is what limitations are we prepared to accept on our systems in exchange for uh, China accepting limitations on their system? So let me conclude by saying, I agree that we are in a fundamentally different strategic situation than we were in 2010 um, when New START was signed. However, I think Extending New START buys us time to, one, uh, work these very difficult issues with Russia and China, two, get our nuclear modernization program underway, and three, work out the initial homework that the United States would needs to do in the context of a future negotiation. So let me stop there and turn the floor back to you, Michaela. Thank you. Thanks so much for uh, your thoughtful remarks. Uh, all right, Tim, go ahead. No, thank you. And uh, I appreciate the Heritage Foundation giving me a reason to put on a tie for the first time in, uh, in three months. Um, so my, my perspective is going to be a little bit different. Uh, from my perspective, um, this really needs to be understood in terms of a larger strategy that the Trump administration has been undertaking. Uh, so we all know that the Trump uh, administration, the president declared in February that he wants to include China in the next nuclear arms control treaty. This is an objective that was consistent with the national security strategy uh, with, uh, and the Pentagon's national defense strategy. Um, and while this seems uh, like a policy goal that the arms control and the U.S. nuclear disarmament uh, advocacy community should have embraced, uh, it's one that's been received more skeptically, and, and I think that's unfortunate. When the White House released the national security strategy in December of 2017, it marked the first time since the Cold War that the United States recognized that the era of strategic competition with a peer rival had returned. And with the Russian Federation largely displaced by the People's Republic of China, the national security strategy stated, and I quote, for decades, U.S. policy was rooted in the belief that support for China's rise and for its integration into the post-war international order would liberalize the Chinese Communist Party. Contrary to our hopes, it has expanded its power at the expense of the sovereignty of others, end quote. Now, is this a new Cold War? Not quite. But it is a return to great power, great power rivalry. And it's one that's actually been underway for quite some time. It's only in the recent administration that we've recognized it and acted accordingly. Now, the national defense strategy released in January of 2018, shortly after the national security strategy, was also a revolutionary document. It announced that the era of the post-Cold War, quote, peace dividend, uh, end quote, in which case the United States and the West would have to only worry about small terrorist movements was over. 
It stated, and I quote, the central challenge to U.S. prosperity and security is the reemergence of long-term strategic competition by what the national security strategy classifies as revisionist powers, end quote, which of course includes the People's Republic of China. Now, these strategies were not criticized when issued. In fact, a bipartisan commission of Republican and Democratic graybeards, which brings home to me right now, uh, charged by Congress to evaluate the strategy widely praised its central premise, which is the long-term strategic competition with powers like the People's Republic of China. Now, the NSS recognized the many tools available to the United States to ensure the security of the American people and that arms control could be won. Now, General Ashley, last May, uh, at the Hudson Institute, where I'm a senior fellow, provided some insights into what the United States government knows about China's nuclear weapons program that hadn't been said before outside of a skiff. And I'm going to just read a couple of quotes here. Over the next decade, China is likely to at least double the size of its nuclear stockpile in the course of implementing the most rapid expansion and diversification of its nuclear arsenal in China's history. Last year, China, this would be 2018, last year, China launched more ballistic missiles for testing and training than the rest of the world combined. We expect this modernization to continue, and this trajectory is consistent with Chinese President Xi's vision for China's military, which he laid out at the 19th Party Congress. It stated that China's military will be, quote, fully transformed into a first-tier force, end quote. This is President Xi by 2050. Now, this is not, the, the president's policy is not about bringing China into New START. That would be very difficult, and it would lock in the, the many flaws of that treaty. This is about getting China into arms control, because after all, if not now, when they're at approximately 400 warheads, when? Do we have to wait until they're at 800? Do we have to worry, wait until they're at 1,550? So let me turn to the question of New START. I have not made a decision. I have not come to my own conclusion about whether or not extension of New START would be useful. The reasons Frank uh, Rose uh, mentioned, some of them are, are, are incredibly important and, and highly credible. But for me, the, the central fact of the matter is this treaty does not expire until February of 2021. It needs no Senate action to be extended. While the Russian Duma has to act, I'm not aware of anybody who believes that that is a serious legislature. They will do what President Putin tells them to do, or they will find a new home in Siberia breaking rocks for the rest of their lives. This is not about extension or not extension, not yet. So for me, the question is why play into Putin's hands? We have leverage now. We have something he wants. We have the ability to offer him, him an extension. Let's use that. Do we honestly think that if we don't jump and extend now when the Russian establishment is clamoring for it, he's going to feel ghosted and go home and cry? He's gonna pick up his toys and go away? Is this some sort of arms control tinder? No, if we extend now, all that is likely to happen is the things that we care about covering the non-strategic nuclear weapons, for example, will get no serious uh, reception in Moscow, not until 2026. Because after all, now that we've given him what he wants, why would he negotiate about these things? He would insist on unreasonable demands related to U.S. missile defenses and U.S. conventional force presence in Europe. So for me, we should not be discussing extension. We should be discussing how to make progress on more encompassing arms control. And with that, I'd be happy to, to turn it over to questions. Well, arms control tinder, words I didn't think I would hear today. <laughs> we have some questions that came in, so let me take them in order in which they arrived. First one is from Nick Wondra, an NSA program analyst. Uh, new and exotic delivery systems may be difficult to capture in existing arms agreements, while even INF accountable systems might present strategic challenges. Do you see capturing traditional delivery systems in present or future arms, con arms control agreements as a prerequisite for capturing the more exotic systems? Who would like to take that one on? Well, let me start. Um, Patty Jang talked about the Russian systems uh, in her opening uh, remarks. I would say they really fall into two baskets. First, there's a SARMAT, uh, heavy ICBM, and as well as the avant-garde hypersonic glide vehicle. Those clearly fall within the context of New START. And my understanding is the Russians have 
pretty much accepted that. Then there are some other exotic systems like the Poseidon and this nuclear powered cruise missile that don't fall under New START. We need to capture those types of exotic systems in a future agreement. But what I would note is the nuclear cruise missile, uh, as well as the Poseidon, probably won't become operational until after New START expires if it is extended in 2026. So as part of any discussion we have with the Russians, we would need, in my view, to insist that these new exotic systems be captured. And let me just make one other point, and I think Patty J made a really important point about MERV heavy ICBMs, okay? Throughout the Cold War, the number one U.S. strategic arms control objective was to eliminate uh, Russian heavy MERV ICBMs. But we gave that up in both the uh, Moscow Treaty and the New START Treaty. And there was a view at the time, because our relationship had changed with Russia, we didn't have to worry about these heavy MERV ICBMs. For example, here's a quote from Colin Powell from 2002 in testimony about the Moscow Treaty. Quote, since neither the United States and its allies nor Russia view our strategic relationship as adversarial, we no longer view Russian deployment of MERV ICBMs as destabilizing to this strategic relationship, end quote. So I agree with Patty Jane. When we think about the next round of nuclear arms control, we really need to get back to that focus on stability, reducing the risk of a first strike, and managing competition, what uh, uh, Tim said. Because I think we're the arms control paradigm is shifting. Since the end of the Cold War, it was about reductions in disarmament. Now it's back to its original form, and that is managing competition. And for arms control to play a role in, of, in U.S. security policy, we need to get into that managing competition mindset. Thanks very much. Great. Tim, go ahead. So, you know, I, I, I might be just a contrarian here, but um, when I see what Putin exhibited in 2018 with the exotic systems. Um, you know, it reminds me of um, maybe it's the advantage of having a six-year-old. It reminds me of a of a uh, of a musician, or, excuse me, a magician at a uh, child birthday party. Um, Putin is a consummate magician. Um, he um, makes people think he's a brilliant strategist, and yet he's stuck in Syria with no hope for escape. Um, he causes people to forget that Russia is a, a is a failing corrupt dictatorship. It's a mafia-run gas station with nuclear weapons, I, I think John McCain used to say. Uh, it's a failing power. Um, and so these exotic systems are misdirection. They're look over here and don't pay attention to what the magician is doing here behind the curtain. Um, they don't change deterrence. There's very little evidence that Russia would be able to deploy these in any sort of a meaningful way. But maybe just maybe we'll obsess over these you know nuclear powered nuclear uh, armed cruise missiles if they can ever um if they can ever actually be produced um they've killed more russians than than they'll probably ever kill anyone else um and and don't pay attention to things like the non-strategic nuclear weapons um i think putin hopes that we will take the bait that we will spend a lot of capital uh, trying to negotiate limits on these systems that are fundamentally irrelevant to uh, changing the deterrence calculus. We should be far more concerned about the thousands of non-strategic nuclear weapons, the dozens of types of, of, of systems that Putin has deployed outside of the limits of the New START Treaty, um, which is something that we, we knew was happening at the time the treaty was ratified, which is why the Senate included Condition 12 in the resolution ratification. The Senate uh, concluded at the time that the New START Treaty was flawed, but it was better than nothing. Uh, but the next treaty had to finally get a grip on these um, these systems that have significant capabilities that can hurt us and hurt our allies. Thank you. Patty Jane, did you want to add anything to it? 
Um, let's see. I don't. I don't think I have much to add. Um, I think my colleagues made some good points. I I do agree and liked how Tim brought up that we don't know much about these new exotic delivery systems. Um, we shouldn't waste a ton of our negotiating time um, and and give up a lot of U.S. strategics or agree to too many limits on our programs for these systems. We have to see what turns out, but I, I don't think that means we should. Um, I we think we at the same time we need to be careful not to ignore them and assume that they won't work because um, just at the chance that Russia does develop these in advanced capabilities, um, I think the United States needs to be ready to discuss them with Russia. Um, to answer the question, do uh, traditional systems need to be captured in a treaty as a prerequisite for more exotic systems? I'm not sure we need to, to, to separate the two like that. I think when we when it comes time to start negotiating a new agreement, whether that be um, now if we make progress or five years down the line, regardless of what happens with the new start, um, we'll be talking about traditional systems, um, Russia's new systems, hopefully China. Um, and that means we'll have, I think we'll have to find a new way of negotiating all of these things that might not necessarily be the traditional um, you know, one missile for one missile, one warhead for war, one warhead, and we'll have to see what that looks like. Thank you very much. All right, ne next question is from Tom Countryman. It looks like a question for Tim and Patty Jane. Uh, he says he agrees that extending New START will not guarantee strategic stability. It will also not cure COVID-19 which I think we all agree, we can all agree. Now, how will US security be stronger without extension? Do we need to imitate all the destabilizing weapons that Russia is building to have negotiating leverage? Uh, are you concerned that one side or the other will no longer have enough warheads to, and I highlight the other civilization? Tim. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a serious question in there somewhere if we search for it. Um, the yeah. So I mean, again, I'll, I'll guess maybe the best way to answer it is I haven't suggested that we shouldn't extend the New Star Treaty. Um, I think where the president is correctly going is uh, evaluating whether or not there's a better arms control regime out there, um, and given that the New START Treaty doesn't expire until February of 2021, given that it can be extended on the back of a cocktail napkin, um, what's the rush? Um, let's use the opportunity, let's use the leverage we have of uh, significant um, Russian interest in extension to try to find a better deal. I'm not sure why the United States would ever not want to try to find a better deal. Patty Jane. Um yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think when when I say that I think United States uh, should not extend New Start for another five years. That doesn't come with an advocacy for building the same destabilizing weapons that um, Russia is building. I, I do think the goal should be to develop um, a better arms control agreement that um, actually serves the U.S. security interests. And I, I think the the first thing we need to do to be able to get there is continue modernizing. The systems that we're already work, working on. I think the administration's plan um, to modernize is a good one. We just have to get going with it too. Um, and Russia will will see those systems start to develop in the future. Hey, Mikhail, let me just say, I think New Start provides us a bridge to get to where we need to go, both on developing the new strategic framework that incorporates uh, Russia's new capabilities, brings in China, but at the same time, ensure that we have the bipartisan consensus here in the United States to move forward with the modernization program. Thanks. So I have a, you know, two finger on that. I hear that modernization argument um, pretty often, and I'm not quite sure that I'm very convinced by it because we need to have nuclear weapons modernization through you know for for next two decades to actually recapitalize our systems now we are talking about five years here and that's not that long of a time frame and so 
what if we sort of squander time right now and then consensus breaks down five years from now and we are still not going to get modernization i mean we need modernization regardless of whether we have new start or not because our systems are just too old yeah if if i could speak to that um i think that makes sense michaela um i think that Back in 2010, when we were able to come to a bipartisan compromise, um, sign new start for modernization, that worked. Um, I know that a lot of decisions are made based on political compromise, but I think that um, modernization is undeniably critical, something that we have to get done. And I worry about holding it hostage to um, an arms control agreement that, you know, as I explained, I don't even think is that good um, and that will only last five years. Um, also, I, I haven't seen much going around in Congress of even a, a, about discussion about making this bipartisan compromise. Um, you know, unless I'm wrong, unless something comes up, but I, I also can't see um, people in Congress who are advocating for things like taking down the, the ICBM leg of our triad or um, advocating for no first use policy, um, suddenly changing their views on these things for the long term just because we extend new start. So, um, you know, I think compromise is certainly useful in some scenarios, but I, it's too risky for something as important as long-term modernization. Um, Michaela, what I would say, if you go back to the early 70s, there's always been a link between modernization and arms control, and that continues to this day. I agree that the modernization program is important but we need to maintain bipartisan support. You're not gonna get everybody on board, but you need to have a core group of people in Congress committed to modernization. And one of my big concerns is that if we move away from arms control, it is going to be very, very difficult to put together that consensus. But so I, I, if I, I could jump in, I, I, go ahead, Tim. No, ladies first. All right, I'll unmute myself again. Then, um, you know, I, I agree with you with respect to linkage between arms control and nuclear modernization, but that still doesn't mean that New Start is a necessary way to go. Besides, in the seventies it's like comparing apples to oranges we actually could build systems on reasonable time frames we cannot do that now we have very high, hard time responding to changes in strategic environment in a timely manner with our programs yeah i would just i would just offer that we're, we're there's something of a straw man and i don't i don't think this is this is frank's approach there's others in the U.S. nuclear disarmament clarity that make this the straw man argument, however, um, that uh, we won't modernize or deterrent if we don't extend New START. To my knowledge, the administration hasn't made a decision about whether to extend New START. The question simply isn't ripe yet. And so the idea that in a future negotiation, whether it's under this administration or an administration of another party come January 20th, um, that we wouldn't want our uh, arms control negotiators to be in the strongest possible position to obtain the strongest possible concessions from Russia and China by having a nuclear deterrent in the United States that is undergoing modernization. It's sort of this argument of, please help me from cutting my own arm off. I mean, no, we don't cut our arm, arm off because that's stupid and foolish. We modernize because the other guys are and we need to maintain a deterrent until such time as the world has changed and we don't need a deterrent. I remember General Harrensack talked about the, the world without nuclear weapons, and he looked forward to it because he was going to have a big party, um, and we just needed to make sure not to feed any of the hors d'oeuvres to his unicorn. Uh, that said, there is a scenario out there where uh, the world changes, and we don't have a Chinese Communist Party that unleashes the coronavirus on the rest of the world, uh, and we don't need these kinds of weapons, but that's not the world we live in today. Michaela, I would just add, there's nothing in the New START Treaty that prevents us from moving forward with the current modernization program. I do agree with that. All right, there is a question for to Frank. 
uh, from Jarmo Vinanen, and I'm I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Uh, he's uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, Finland. Uh, Tim said that withholding the decision on New Start extension is a leverage against Russia. Uh, would that work? You know, I don't know. I think we should just move forward with New Start as the as I outlined. You know, right now, um, we'll see if we have any leverage. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's in both the interest of the United States and the interest of Russia to extend the treaty. I agree with Tim and Patty Jane, the security environment has changed, but New START, I believe, allows us a path forward to address those concerns. So my view is now is a good time to extend the treaty, but we also need to have a process in place to address those future issues like China, like uh, Russia's non-strategic weapons, like the heavy merged ICBMs. So that's where I am. I think now is as good of a time as any. Mikhail, can I just ask a question if I could of my good friend, Frank? Of course. What, what have we lost if we don't extend until December? Well, I think the question is a question of politics. Uh, you know, we could have a new administration, but the bottom line, Tim, and I will give you this point, is that we could extend this relatively easy. As you mentioned, the Senate does not have to see the treaty again. Uh, my view is let's do it now. That way we can move on to other things. Uh, but the bottom line is nothing prevents us from extending the treaty in December because I believe it's in mid-February of next year that it, um, it expires. But again, my preference would be to do it now. All right, Michaela, if I, if I may. Yes, go ahead. Um, Frank, I was gonna ask, so what is it, it seems like we share the same goal of trying to come up with a better agreement, um, incorporates Russia's maybe tactical weapons or other systems for the new threat environment. What is it about extending New START now, the treaty itself, that will give us a better shot at getting there? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first, these issues will not be resolved quickly. They are very, very complicated. Um, number two, the U.S. government itself has, does not really know what it wants to achieve in future arms control agreements. Uh, I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered specifically, and the issue I raise is where are our areas of flexibility? What are we prepared to give up? For example, to date, we have not been prepared to place any limitations on our missile defense capabilities. I'm not arguing that's what we should do, but when you look at the Russians and the Chinese, all of the things that we say are a no-go are things that, that they want. Uh, thirdly, um, the other thing, and I'll, I'll bring it back to modern, modernization, it continues to keep that consensus on board. I'm not saying that everybody in the Democratic Party supports strategic modernization, but right now you have a very, very fragile uh, bipartisan, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, 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 consensus. So, so that's what I would say, uh, but it's going to take time. These are tough issues. And I think the fundamental disagreement that we have is not the end goal. I can't say I disagree with you and Tim on where we need to be. The question is, do you start over now or do you use new start as a bridge to get you where you need to go? All right, let's move on to a set of other questions. Uh, this one is from Madison Estes from the CNA. 
it, it's regarding US upload capability. Um, she says, other assessments have come to the conclusion that strategic balance, even if both Russia and the US exceed new start limits, cannot be significantly altered by either the US and Russia, even if both max out their upload capability. Has the US ability to re-upload to, uh, to its submarine force been considered when making the assessment about the US not being able to maintain parity with Russia in the event that it exceeds new start limits? Are there other ways the US could offset any potential Russian buildup? Who would like to take that one on? Uh I'll start. Uh, let me begin by saying, if you've not read Madison Estes' report that she and Vince Manzo did on arms control after New Start, I highly recommend it. It is probably one of the best pieces of research I've seen on this issue. Uh, to answer her question, yes, we do have upload capability on the D-5 missile. But at least in the near term, uh, the Russians would probably have uh, at least some short-term advantage if New START were to go away and they were to upload, number one. And this is a point that Frank Kotz, the former director of, um, uh, of the NNSA, but also former commander of uh, Air Force Global Strike Command, uh, and the other point which concerns me is uh, they have a much more robust infrastructure. We've put a lot of money in our infrastructure, but we're nowhere where we need to be in having a responsive infrastructure. So, you know, given where we are, I think in the near to midterm, we could essentially keep essential parity with the Russians. But in the near term, they would likely have some level of advantage, though that would go away as our uh, modernization program moved forward and the infrastructure became more robust. Anything yeah, it's else? A on? It's a tricky question to answer um, in terms of what assessments have or haven't been done, but. Um, you know, keep in mind, with the U.S. Um, yeah, I, I guess the way to answer it would be Russia is doing a, a a much more aggressive job at building into its capability upload capacity uh, versus versus what the U.S. is doing. So comparing um, Warhead loading of the SS-25 to the SS-27, the SS-18 to the Sarmats um, versus where the U.S. is going on um, going from 24 tubes, uh, 20 under New START to 16 under uh, the Columbia class program. The Russians are building in an upload capacity uh, that we are not, and long term, that that poses a risk. Is probably the way I'd I'd like to I'd like to leave it. Yeah. Uh Frank and Tim are right to point out that it's more so the difference in um, the the modernization of Russia's systems, their um, active complex compared to uh, the United States capability in, in advancing this upload capacity. Um, I do want to address, um, Frank discussed how in the short term that Russia would have, um, would, might be able to gain an advantage over the United States with this upload capacity if we don't extend new start. Um, I've thought about that argument a lot. I think the only the only thing to point out is I'm not sure if if New Start is doing much right now to to stop Russia from already um, having this advanced capability um, based on the counting rules of New Start. Um, Russia might be able to quickly and easily surpass these limits, and I, I just I'm not sure if extending the treaty would prevent Russia from doing so if they desire to if they found what the need to. Um, to upload more warheads. Um, I think if we extend New Star, it's I don't it's we would risk creating this false sense of security that Russia is um, following all the rules to the T um, when they are really working on developing these capabilities. I, I would my, just add, Michaela, my, 
that the Trump administration has certified that Russia is in compliance with their obligations under the New START Treaty. Now, there are a host of other agreements that they are not in compliance with, but with, with regards to New START, they are still in compliance. I, you know, my two finger on it is that strategic stability only works if you close your eyes to all the other Russian nuclear weapon systems. So we can have, I mean, what, what does that even mean if we don't consider their massive advantage on the tactical nuclear weapons level? Now, that being said, uh, let's, let's move on to other questions. Uh, this one is to Tim from Brian Berkey from the DOD. Listening to the discussion about the need to modernize, is the U.S. too anchored in the symmetry of keeping up with the adversary? Would there be a greater benefit to invest in other asymmetric means to challenge adversary capability? And using strategic capability from hypothetically space or cyberspace in order to compete and create deterrence left of bang? So I think there's a bit of a false premise. I, I don't think the U.S. typically thinks about keeping up um, apple for apple, orange for orange with, with Russia, for example, on nuclear weapons. Um, we don't, just because they have these exotic systems, feel the need to have exotic systems of our own. I think we conduct a very careful, cold, hard, uh, analytical assessment of what is needed to maintain deterrence and ensure that there isn't um, anything that upsets uh, first strike stability. Um, you know, and I've not seen anything that suggests that that there is anything that will that will upset it. So I don't think we we typically feel the need to to chase after. This isn't like keeping up with the Joneses um, when it comes to nuclear weapons. Um, there have been times where we've seen Russian developments change um, or be, or or create a, a potential erosion for our ability to maintain deterrence, which is why there was bipartisan um, uh, support. Um, civilian military uh, support for the low-yield D5, which we now have. It closed a gap in deterrence that the Russians um, had hypothetically created. Um, and so I think that was important, but we don't, we don't, we don't worry about, um, well, the Russians have this, therefore I need to have it. Um, I, I, think, I think there are times where we approach that risk, which is frankly my concern about hypersonics. I, I, I'm not particularly impressed by hypersonic systems. I think it's a, it's a fool's errand of of um, of expenditure that we'd be far better off um, avoiding. Um, uh, I think the Russians and the Chinese want us to get in a chase with them on hypersonics. Uh, we'd be better off having um, three ground launch ballistic missiles for every one hypersonic missile the Russians or the Chinese have. That would be a far better way to impose costs on on our adversaries. And you know, there's a risk with respect to some of these sort of left of bang, left of launch capabilities, whether space or cyber. Uh, there's probably there's probably two risks. One, under what scenario can you imagine that the president of the United States would feel like he was in a position to left of conflict, left of bang, preemptively engage in a cyber or space um, attack on a nuclear armed adversary? I, I I can't I can't conceive of the scenario where he would do that. Where we would ever feel like our ISR and our, our indicators of warning were so perfect, so pure that there wasn't some risk we were misconstruing um, what the the Russians and the Chinese were up to. So the idea that we would use one of these capabilities left of bang strikes me as incredibly difficult to conceive of where any president would feel um, would feel comfortable doing that. And then the other issue is, you know, how does it affect your adversary um, if you've given them reason to believe that whenever we want to at the flick of a light switch through some sort of cyber or space intrusion, we can turn off their nuclear systems. That is a profoundly destabilizing moment. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, um, but it's a profoundly destabilizing moment that we need to understand. Um, and so that also carries risks. Um, nuclear deterrence works. It has worked since 1945 when my grandfather was getting ready to invade Japan. Um, I don't know, the. I, I simply don't understand the fascination with uh, with breaking what isn't um, uh, what isn't broken. Uh, Michaela, can I just add? Um, I don't disagree with Tim, but what I would say is that nuclear, cyber, space—they're increasingly integrated, 
And we can't silo nuclear issues off from the cyber and space domains, as well as some of these other emerging technology um, technologies like artificial intelligence and quantum computing. And what I would say going forward, whoever is elected president in November, that we put in place structures and processes so we can look at strategic capabilities issues from an integrated point of view. Uh, it's what General Hyten has talked about, strategic deterrence. He doesn't talk about nuclear deterrence these days, strategic deterrence. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we should do at the Pentagon is bring back the Assistant Secretary for Global Strategic Affairs, which brought together nuclear, missile defense, space, cyber, uh, and combating WMD. So I just wanted to end on that point, is that we can't just think about nuclear in a silo. We need to think of it in a broader strategic capabilities context. Thanks very much. All right, let's take our last question. Um, how can the US provide political cover to governments of allied states to renew DCA and support NATO's nuclear missions in the absence of New START? Without New START, parties in Europe opposed to nuclear deterrence may gain further support to limit involvement in nuclear missions. This one was addressed to uh, Patty Jane or Tim, but of course, Frank, you're welcome to, uh, to pitch in and you're welcome to make any concluding remarks or concluding statement rather um, that, you, that you want. Um, I can take this one to start. Um, so I think it is a good point to consider that um, our allies may be less comfortable with the nuclear deterrence mission if we don't extend New START. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a reason to not extend New START if uh, New START is not in the best interest of U.S. national security, which some of us may differ on, but um, I don't think it is. So I think what, how can the United States provide political cover? Um, that's a good question, but I think the first thing we need to do is work on an active messaging campaign so that our, our allies and even the American public understand um, the flaws of New START, um, what, Russia is, what Russia is doing, the new exotic and provocative systems they're developing. Um, I think that's something that the administration could certainly do a better job on, and that's, that's the first step to um, resolving the, the opposition we have. To, to nuclear deterrence in Europe, especially now that we're considering um, arms control. Yeah, and I, I would just briefly say, uh, maybe draw an analogy to the INF uh, fact pattern. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time across two administrations, as Frank knows well, talking to the allies about uh, where we're going on INF um, and talking to the allies about what Russia was doing under INF. Uh, with their gross violations of the treaty. Um, you know, one of the things that General Ashley uh, was trying to accomplish with his remarks at Hudson last May was to put more information out into the public domain about what Russia and China are doing. Um, and so, you know, for, for five or six years, European governments had chosen not to have an honest conversation with their people uh, about what Russia was doing with their violation of the uh, INF Treaty. And to some extent, it's incumbent on our allies to have that honest dialogue with their with their people, with their parliaments, about what Russia and China are doing, about the problems that New START doesn't solve, about the thousands uh, of nuclear non-strategic nuclear weapons across dozens of types that are targeted at them, that are targeted at their capitals, that are targeted at their children's schools, none of which go away if they renounce their alliance commitment as members of NATO. Uh, to carry forward with the nuclear mission. If they were to make such a unilateral concession to Russia by giving up the nuclear mission, exactly what Russian threat goes away? They don't, they're not members of the, of the, of the alliance. So they're not uh, burden sharing under uh, the DCA mission as some sort of favor to us. They're doing it because it's in their own best interest. It's how they keep their people safe. So I, to my, my answer is, the burden isn't on the United States to give European partner, partners a, a reason to continue doing what is in their own best interest. It's up to them to have an honest conversation with their people about what it takes to be secure 
in a world where you have Russia with thousands of non-strategic nuclear weapons across dozens of types in your backyard, not, not in ours. I would just conclude by saying, as in the United States, arms control has and will continue to be a key element in building domestic political consensus to do the tough things we need to do on modernization and deterrence. And I'll leave it there. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to our panelists and thank you to the viewers. Thank you for great questions that you've submitted. I'm sorry that we didn't get to all of them, uh, but we will pass them on to our panelists and uh, you might receive a response to them uh, at a later date. Uh, and with that, um, have a great rest of the day and stay safe. Thanks for moderating, Michaela. Thanks, Thank Tim you. and Patty Jane. Thanks, everyone.